book of Luke. Transfer here. Luke chapter 17 this morning. I'm always interested when the pages of my Bible are red. And I don't mean as in I read them today. I mean the red letters because uh, Jesus is speaking and he is the greatest teacher, the greatest preacher that ever lived. And I think that I personally can learn a whole lot from him. And if I ever hope to press toward that mark to become like him, then I really want to study the words that come directly from him. And so as I read this passage of scripture today, I want to give a great context to the verse that we're going to focus on. And I want to ask uh, really three questions in the message. And then I, I am praying that God would use this in my life. Now, number one, when I preach, I want to be obviously pleasing to God. And I'm preaching for his glory and because of his name and for his opinion. But at the same time, I, I know this, that if I succeed in that endeavor, that God will also bless other people that are listening. Do you understand that? And so I am not, uh, what I preach here this morning, I want to do my level best for the Lord. Because tomorrow when I get up, I want to do my level best for the Lord. And I'm hoping that this message will help all of us in that same realm. Because at the end of the day, as we looked this last week, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, we're supposed to do it all for the glory of God. Amen? And so as we look here this morning, I want you to follow along as I begin reading in Luke chapter 17. Look at verse 20. Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, that's an interesting phrase. When the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto the disciples, the days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the son of man and you shall not see it. And they shall say to you, see here or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. Now look up here for a moment. Remember, the Pharisees demanded of him, and he turns now, and he's discoursing with the disciples. Do you understand that? So in the presence of the people that actually asked the question, after he shut them down, he turns, and now he is instructing the disciples on this matter, and he's going to get farther and farther into it, and he's going to let them know what they need to know for the time. Verse 23, they shall say to you, see here or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteth, lighteneth out of thine, uh, I'm sorry, out of the one part under heaven, shineth unto the other part under heaven, so also shall the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. Huge statement. Verse 26 is a, just a great indicator for all of us. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them. How many? Oh. Verse 28, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff 
in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. And then notice the simple phrase, remember Lot's wife. What's that in lieu of? Turning back, all right? Coveting something that she shouldn't be, wanting something other than what is happening. Look at verse 33. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you in that night, there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, talking about wheat and making flour. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Now that, that just sounds like a whole lot, doesn't it? And, and trying to cipher through all that, it, 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 is, it is a task and a half. So we're going to go on. Verse 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, I find it interesting, and I'm not preaching on this. This is just a bonus. I find it interesting that they're wanting to know when the kingdom of God is coming, when the Son of Man is going to return, what's going to be the sign of the times. And here's what Jesus says, basically, when they're trying to figure out what he's saying. Also, you need to pray. Wait a minute. I thought you were going to give us like a cipher box and we're going to put all these letters in and go, oh, this is the hidden message. He goes, no, I want you to see the whole crux of the matter. I'm telling you all this. That's all that you need to know, though you don't know the chronological order of it or why or the purpose of it all together. Here's what you do need to know. You ought to be praying. Now watch. Here's how we ought to pray. Saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city and she came into him saying, avenge me of mine adversary. He would not for a while, but after what he said within himself, though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now he talks about the importance of just continuing in praying and trusting God no matter what the answer or if the answer is. Okay, now watch, it gets better. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. And here's the crux of the whole message. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? In other words, after all that I've said, after all that you've heard, And you've heard me now talk about, instead of trying to find the answers, that you should just be continually trusting and praying and trusting. When he does come, he looks at his disciples and says, will I find faith or will I not? Will I actually find what I'm looking for? Notice again in verse 8, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now, even though the primary interpretation of these verses is for Israel in the end times, they do emphasize for the church the importance of being ready when the Lord does return. So we must not be then like Lot's wife, who Jesus cast a light on, whose heart was so in Sodom that she looked back in spite of the angel's warning. Don't look back, press on. What happened? She didn't trust God and she looked back, according to the scripture. You see, there are many professed Christians today whose plans would be tragically interrupted if Jesus returned. Our Lord's warning in Luke 17 and verse 35 is a fundamental principle of the Christian faith. 
In other words, the only way to save your life or what's most important that you think in your life is to lose it, is to let it go for the sake of Christ and the gospel. And to lose your life then is to live in obedient faith to the will of God. Now, look, the fact of the matter is he's talking about avenging his elect because that's all they wanted for the kingdom of God for. We just want you to destroy Rome. We just want you to, we'll say it a different way, free us of our physical circumstances. We don't need anything else. We just want you, God, as our butler to clean up our house. We want you to be able to take away our enemies. We want all the problems to disappear. All of the restrictions to disappear. Well, wouldn't we like that? We would. We just want you to do that. That's what we're looking for. That's why when he said, before all that, the Son of Man has to come and suffer. And they're going, huh? Because their mind, first of all, wasn't prayerful. And it secondly, wasn't faithful. They were not trusting that God's timing and his hand was perfect. Now watch. Jesus pictured the world's culture as a rotting corpse that one day will be ripe for judgment. And the discerning believer sees evidence of this on every hand and realizes that the days of Noah, according to Jesus' illustration, and the days of Lot are already here. They're already upon us. Our Lord can return for his church at any time. So we're not looking for signs. There's, there's no more signs. Oh, because this happened, he could come sooner. No, all the signs have already been committed. Everything that Jesus said needed to happen before his return has already happened. Let me say this. Jesus is coming again. And he is coming and could come at any moment. The, the lesson here is, what will he find when he comes? What will he find in my life? What will he find in your life? The fact is, Jesus is coming to catch away his people, to take them to the place that he has prepared for them. And he poses a very exposing question in chapter 18 and verse 8. When I come back, will I find faith on the earth? So I'd like to propose to you this morning, God's plan for how to live your life. How to make your decisions, how to raise your children, how to stay happily married, how to have your prayers answered, how to have joy and peace and contentment that Jesus spoke of. The way to have what is truly most important in your life is to give your life to God. How? By faith. By saying, God, I trust you. I don't understand all the circumstances. In fact, I don't even like them, but I do love you and I know that you love me. And because of that, I know that I can trust you. And that's how I, according to Jesus in chapter 18, ought always to pray and not to faint because he's trustworthy. The way to have it is to let it go as followers of Christ. And it's paramount that we live, of course, by faith. So let's ask the three questions this morning as I hand them out. Number one, when Jesus returns, what kind of faith will he find? According to the past, according to the to the word of God, what will he find? Well, the Bible is very clear that in the days preceding the rapture of the church, that sin will increase, that evil and violence will spread, and the love of many Christians will become lukewarm and then cold, according to Jesus' words. You see, in our text, we see the reference to two different illustrations about the days of Noah and then the days of Sodom. But Noah, or both Noah and Lot lived in a day of religious compromise. Both in the days of Noah and Lot, they lived in a day of moral declension, not unlike our present day. Amen? 
The fact of the matter is, according to Genesis 6, during the days of Noah, the population growth was significant. Lawlessness was on the rise and the earth was given over to violence. So in Lot's day, in Lot's day, the unnatural lusts of Sodom were so abhorrent to God that he completely destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Only Lot and his two daughters and his wife, who later died, were saved from the terrible judgment. Those days are coming. Those days are here. Scripture tells us then the type of faith that Jesus will find at his returning during the days that we're living is a very telling truth. First of all, the kind of faith that Jesus is going to find, according to the Bible, is a departing faith. A departing faith. First Timothy 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days, listen, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed or allowing seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils. That's what the kind of faith is going to be when Jesus returns. People who did once say, I believe, or once lived this way, they're no longer going to be doing that. They're departing. They're walking away from the faith. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, holding faith in a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning the faith, have made shipwreck. Now, it's interesting to me that the Bible defines the life of somebody who was a believer who walks away from the Lord Jesus Christ as shipwreck, as shipwreck. Many of you will remember uh, within the last decade or so, several years ago, that cruise ship that was off the coast of Italy and got too close and it just hit the reef and sheared off the bottom and then tipped over on its side and all that happened and the captain was charged with negligence and all that kind of stuff. That's what a shipwreck looks like. And here, God says, look, I want you to see that when you decide to not live by faith, what I'm going to categorize your life by, though you think you've gained your independence, though you think things are going to be better because of your hand, I'm telling you, if you're not living under my hand, it's going to end badly. I'm going to call it a shipwreck. I don't think anybody in here, by the way, the cruise lines are getting ready to open. I don't think anybody in here, and maybe you're one, maybe you're one that would be like, you know, now's the time to go. The food's better. There's no more virus, right? Just automatically leaves. And uh, now we're going to go and you're going to go on there. Nobody would say, I want to see what happens if, it, if this the thing sinks. I want to see how close the captain can actually get to the reef without sinking us. Nobody's like, yeah, I want to see how many people we can fit in the lifeboats. And see, the devil does a great job of telling Christians, oh, nothing will happen to you. It's okay. Do what you want to do. Don't make God the priority. You don't have to live by faith. Just ask God to clean up the problems in front of you and you can just live your own life. And the Bible says, no, that's a shipwrecked life. That's what happens when you depart from the faith. The Bible says that's how God describes the faith that's going to be found in 1 Timothy 4, which is expressly about the last days. Well, not only when Jesus comes, is he going to find a departing faith? Sadly, secondly, he's going to find a lacking faith, a lacking faith. Matthew 6 and verse 30, wherefore, if God so clothed the, gra- clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So there's going to be some that just walk away from the faith. Then according to the Bible, like today, there's going to be people that just have very little faith. And that little faith is not going to be about the necessities. We preached about that last week in Matthew chapter 6. It's not going to be about, you know, food and shelter and clothing. Because after all, we can take care of that on ourselves, can't we? We have grocery stores and we have a closet full of clothes and we have a place to lay our heads. So we don't ask God for our daily bread anymore. We've got a hold of that. 
The little faith is the faith that comes out when something bad happens. The little faith is comes out only when something tragic or uncomfortable or a bad decision's been made. And you have the little faith to try to call on a God that you've really not trusted with everything else. Oh, you have little faith. It's interesting to me that these are the worriers, the doubters, those that question God's love and faithfulness and ability. We talked about that last week. Matthew 8 and verse 26. And he saith unto them, why are ye so fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. You see, the little faithers are the ones that are in the middle of the storm, and they can't see a way out. Carest thou not that we perish? And he comes out and rebukes the storm and says, look, you have too little of faith. You really don't know who I am. You really don't know that I'm the one that puts you in the storm. You really just don't understand. And God says that over and over and over again in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 8, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? Because ye have brought no bread. And then here's the key to little faith. Do you not understand? Listen, neither remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up or the seven loaves and the 4,000. What happens to the little faithers? The little faithers don't remember. That I spent, you read, read this week, Psalm 106 and 107. And what you'll find is as Israel forgot God, that's when they had their problems. But when they remembered God, that's when they had their blessings. You see, the fact is the little faithers don't remember what God did yesterday. They don't remember when, what God did a year ago. They don't remember what God did two years ago or five years ago. They don't remember what God has done in the last five minutes. So how in the world could they possibly trust him for now? That's the little faithers. Over and over again, God exposes our faith. By the way, it's a great study. 300 mentions in a little over 240 verses in the New Testament alone is faith. And as you read over and over again, what does the light of scripture and the lamp of God's word do? It exposes what God sees and what he will see. Well, some are going to depart from the faith. Others are going to have a little faith. Then there's letter C. There's an erring faith. Again, in the context of the letter to Timothy about the last days in verse first Timothy chapter six and verse 10 for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some listen coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and meekness. By the way, circle that word erred in your Bible. It means to be seduced. You've been seduced by money. Have you been seduced to trust in money, in the nest egg, in the checking, in the savings, in the IRA, uh, in, the, in the CD or the company's retirement? Or do you trust God? Because the Bible says that an erring faith is a faith that puts stock in the temporal. You know what the Bible says? My wife says this to me all the time. For 30 years, she said the same thing. You know what they say about money? It takes wings and flies away. And it's not what they say. That's what God's word says. You ever look at your checking account and go, man, I just looked a few days ago and it seemed like it was good. And now it's not so good anymore. What happened? Just flies away to that company and that company and that thrill and that company. It's amazing. God says that there are going to be people who've been seduced to desire money instead. 
just in case you're wondering, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 18, her concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. So not only, according to the Bible, is there an erring faith because of what we've been seduced by. According to the Bible, there's an error, uh, there's an erring from the faith because of false doctrine. Because people, let's just put it in a, in a present tense context, because people have been listening to all kinds of preachers and not discerning truth through the word of God. And now all of a sudden they've got heresy uh, uh, up against or versus pure truth from God's word. And they've decided to say, well, that just sounds better. Or, that sounds right. And because it tickles my ears, I'm going to believe that. And I'm going to walk away and err from the faith. It's interesting. Erring faith. But there is one thing for sure that I think we can understand this morning. And that is letter D. When Jesus returns, he's going to find a faith that's in the minority. In the minority. Remember, again, the context of what Jesus is saying here between verses 22 and 37 about the days of Noah and Lot. Remember in Genesis 6, when the world's population was exploding, the righteousness of God, which is by faith, listen carefully, was down to one. Now think about that. Was down to one. The Bible is very clear that genuine faith in God and the God of the Bible is always in the minority. Always. The faithful man, the Bible says, who can find? Psalm 12 and verse 1. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail among the children of men. They speak vanity, everyone, with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak. You see, the faith crowd has always been smaller. And today, the percentages in America are decreasing even more. For the first time in 80 years, Gallup reported that after they asked Americans about their religious affiliations, that more than half of those surveyed said they don't belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque at all. Half of the respondents told Gallup that they were part of a congregation. Half. In 1999, it was 70% said they belonged to something, uh, said they belonged to a house of worship. That number has held steady since 1937. But today we live amongst people largely in part that do not have an affiliation at all. Period. What's that say? Faith is really in the minority. True, genuine, sincere, trusting God faith is not going to be ever going to be the popular thing. It will always be in the minority. This is the world that we live in. But here's some good news. So there's good news after all that? Oh, yeah. If you feel out of place because of your faith, or if you feel unwelcome or slighted because of your faith, that's a good thing. Because as a follower of Christ, you shouldn't fit into the landscape of the world. And everybody should say amen right there. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And God's will is that we live by faith. Three times in the Bible, three times, the just shall live by faith. The just, that's God's part. What he did for us through Jesus Christ on the cross, he justified us. The just shall live by faith. That's our part. Saying, God, if I can trust you with my sin, if I can trust you with eternity, I can trust you with today, tomorrow, and every day that I'm alive. So, Scripture paints a picture of some rather disturbing faith that Jesus will find when he comes again. So let's ask the second point quickly before we get depressed. What kind of faith is he looking for? What kind of faith 
does the Lord want to find? From the beginning of Scripture, God's been forthright with with this fact that we can trust him. And we can trust him not just today, but every day and always for all things. Trust the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding, but in all thy ways, acknowledge him. And he in turn, that's his part, shall direct your paths. He's been very forthright. Eve and Adam, I just want you to trust me. You can have all of this, but that one tree that I put in the middle, that's your responsibility. Don't take of that tree. And then what happened? They got seduced. The pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. They got seduced into a false doctrine. Yea, hath God said. Everybody get it? Are you sure you know what you're... Are you sure that God knows what he's talking about? Eve, are you sure absolutely that you can trust God? Because I'm not so sure. I think, Eve, that God knows. Now, isn't that ironic? Now that we have the whole mind of God in scripture that we need to know. He says, the devil knows what God knows. Really? God doth know. Really? Lucifer, you can tell me about the mind of God? No, you can't. So why do we believe him so much? Because last time I checked in John 8, 44, that the devil's a liar. And the truth is not in him. And I can't trust him. But I sure can trust God. From the very beginning, God has been forthright. Trust me. I'm worth it. Trust me. The life that I have for you is worth it. Trust me. I love you. I created you. You have no reason not to trust me. Think about that. Even I have some amazing discussions with my children. We were at the dinner table the other night and I said to my daughter, I said, you know, the Bible is not truly clear as to how far after the creation and life in the garden before Eve decided to take the fruit. I said, now, I'm under the impression that it was before Cain and Abel were born. Because had they been born in that time frame, then they wouldn't have the sinful blood. They wouldn't have had to give sacrifice. I said, so here's the, here's the crazy thing. Nothing had happened to date. It doesn't matter if it was a week, two weeks, six months, nine months, doesn't matter. Nothing had happened to date at all for Eve to ever doubt God, but she did. Now, I wonder if you have a good reason in your life that you could hold up to God and say, God, because this happened, I don't know if I can trust you anymore. Because here's the one thing that we're learning in our family devotions. God, who is holy. God, who is always good. God, who is love, can never change. He cannot do anything to be any more holy or he wouldn't be holy. He cannot do anything to be any less holy. He cannot do anything to be any more or less good than he is because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. At that point, Eve had no reason to say, God, I don't trust you. What reason do you have for not trusting him? Because God has been very forthright about trusting him. So when he returns Jesus is coming, and we, we know that. When he comes, what kind of faith is he looking for? Let me give you these very quickly. Number one, he is absolutely 100% looking for a saving faith. A saving faith. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. That's the door. And not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, 
lest any man should boast. Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Galatians 3.26. We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. I have a problem with someone who doesn't understand the gift of salvation who is genuinely saved who is lost but says aren't we all god's children no we're not we are only children of god by faith in jesus christ as our only hope by the blood by his unmerited favor that's how i am born again to become a child of god now that being said when he returns what's he looking for faith in who in the Lord Jesus Christ, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be what? Saved. That's the promise of God. The very first step of faith anyone ever takes is saying, God, I realize today that you are God, that you created me, and I am a sinner, not God. And nothing I do can make me to be good enough to be in heaven. That's why you died for me, because you loved me. And you died to pay my sin debt. The wages of sin is death. And because you did that, you proved your love. And God, I need your help. I need you to be merciful to me. I want to be saved, and I believe you're my only hope. Please save me. Do you know what happens at that moment? Saving faith. And that's what God's looking for. If he came again, would you go with him? Because when he comes again, we're going. Those who have put all their faith and trust, not in religion. Big different story. Religion, relationship. One is I have to. One is it's already done. I'm putting my faith lock, stock, and barrel in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this doing and formulating and having to design a way to build a ladder up in the top is another way. That's the devil's way, the thief's way. It comes to steal, steal and to kill and destroy. But my faith is in Christ. And when that trumpet sounds, friend, I am going. I'm going. Why? Because I'm a preacher? No. Because I'm an American? No. Because I'm white? Absolutely not. By the way, if you don't know it, I'm not just white. I'm Filipino brown. Amen. It's going to be loopy in heaven. I know it. I know it's going to be there. I know it. Uh, but that's not why I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven because I'm a sinner. And I met Jesus one day, and he saved me. Not because I'm good, but because I'm bad. Because I needed to be saved. He loved me anyway. I'm not going because of anything I've done. I'm going because of everything he's done for me. That's saving faith. The Bible says in Romans 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, sinners in hell today are feeling what they would not believe. They feel it. And the same token can be said of the saints in heaven. They are enjoying that which they did believe. Remember, it was Jesus that said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know, Thomas said, a little faith or God. How can we know the way? He was the one that was confused. How can we know the way? Jesus said, it's all right. I got this. I'm the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father, Thomas, but by me. He's looking for a saving faith. I'll tell you, secondly, I believe he's looking for a great faith. A great faith. 
Say, what do you mean? Well, in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 10, Jesus heard it. He marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. This is the Roman centurion who built the Capernaum uh, synagogue who sent to Jesus because he had a Jewish servant that was going to die. And Jesus is coming along. And as he gets close, he sends a servant and says, No, master, look, I'm not worthy for you to come. I'm a man of authority. I know what it's like to say, Hey, I want you to go here. And they go, I want you to come here. And they come. So you just speak the words and my servant will be fine. And Jesus, the Bible says, turns and he says on that note that he marveled. Man, can you imagine being the guy or the gal that has such great faith that it takes Jesus back? He was astonished at the faith of a non-Jew and the relationship of that Gentile to the Jew and the simple childlike faith. Say, all you have to do, I know who you are. I've heard of you. All you've got to do is speak it. It doesn't matter whether you're here. It doesn't matter if you're over in Jordan. Speak it and it will come to pass. Amen. Whoa! Jesus jumped back. The Bible says he marveled and said, I've not found so great a faith in all of Israel. By the way, if you were a Jew and you didn't have a really good feeling about all the Gentiles about right then, that would be a little embarrassing, wouldn't it? Because the Bible says in Deuteronomy, what nation is so great who has God so nigh as Israel, who had the laws and the commandments and myself given to them. And here in the midst of that conversation, a Gentile gets credit with great faith. That's what he's looking for. This is the great enduring faith of trials, my friend. This is the great enduring faith of afflictions and circumstances that go beyond our comprehension. This is the suffering, go beyond the comprehensions of the sufferings that have been experienced in peace and comfort. How is that even possible? Through the assurance of a good sovereign God. That someone can take faith that God is all in control. Why did Jesus say, I would that men everywhere pray and not to faint? Because they can trust the one who has everything in control. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 4, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith. Listen, in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27, by faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. How? As seeing him who is invisible. You see, faith doesn't have to see God in order to believe that he is. It just accepts the fact that he is. First Corinthians 2 and verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that, my friend, is the difference. You see, a great faith doesn't have to wait. It just knows. I know my God is all-powerful. And I know if God wanted to do anything about this, that he would already have done it. So whenever he's ready, he will. And I believe him. And even if he doesn't, I still believe him. Put yourself just for a few minutes in the sandals of the disciples when Jesus died. You were with him for three and a half years. You saw him do amazing things. And it's a little puzzling to you that he would allow the scourge of Rome to kill him. It's a little puzzling. I mean, he spoke and the world obeyed him. He spoke and people were fed. 
You've seen blind people's eyes go clear. Why would he do that? Why would he die? And none of them remembered that he was supposed to raise again three days later. And no wonder then Jesus comes in their midst physically. And the Bible says in Matthew 28 that he abraded them for their unbelief. You see, there's something to be said about great faith in there. Because the Bible says that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, rose Jesus from the grave. In fact, Jesus said, I have the power to lay my life down and to take it up again of mine own. He needed no help. He's God. Now, is that the God that you trust? Or have you forgotten it? Because that's the difference. That's the difference between enduring faith and lacking faith. The Bible says, Paul was of this manner, for which cause we faint not. We said, wait a minute, Paul, it just seemed like every time you went, you opened your mouth. You were beat, scourged, put in prison. You know, you were stoned to death. It just seemed like every time you opened, why don't you just shut your mouth? Do it in secret. Don't let, don't just get everybody riled up and saved. Just tell a few people and go on. Let them take care of their own faith. It just seemed like, man, you just live for Christ. You're going to suffer. Why don't you just stop? In fact, they tried to stop him. They bound his, his hands with his own belt and said, look, the man who owns this belt is going to suffer great things and die at the hands of Rome. And Paul said, don't weep for me. If this is the will of God, then I'll gladly go to Jerusalem. And by the way, he did. The fact of the matter is, there was nothing that Paul's God could not do. So what did he do? Well, the Bible says, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Through the eyes of faith, he says, for our light affliction. <laughs> now, this is the guy that says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the guy that was beaten with rods, that was striped. He said, I bear in my, for my light affliction is only for a moment. But it works for me. So it says, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Wow. That's great faith. But would you agree that it would be okay with God if he found that kind of faith when he came back? Oh, yeah. There's another one. There's one called a growing faith. In 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might watch, perfect that which is lacking in your faith. He's not abrading them because they had a bad faith or even short faith. Because if you look at 1 Thessalonians, that church was red hot. Paul couldn't go somewhere without someone saying, oh, yeah, I've already trusted Christ or I've already heard the gospel at the first church of the Thessalonians. They've already told me. And he told them, he said, man, I can't go anyplace without the gospel already being preached of you. And yet, he says, I want to come to you to perfect or complete or to make whole that which is lacking. Now, I got to confess to you when I read that, I think that there was just a little bit of lacking, not a lot. He wanted them to grow stronger in their faith. Second Thessalonians, the second letter to the same church, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is me, because... That your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Now that's the idea, that God doesn't want me to remain a little baby in my faith. He wants me to exercise the word of God and the meat of the word of God, and get stronger and grow every experience. By the way, in your life, 
comes with a measure of faith. With, by the way, so how do you know that? Since you asked, the Bible says there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer ye to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye shall be able to bear it. That means that with every trial, with every circumstance, comes a measure of faith. Okay? He knows this is where I'm at. Now watch. Every circumstance comes with a measure of faith. With the hope... That you're going to exercise that faith for what reason? To grow it. You'll have more the next time. Let's put it another way. With every opportunity we have, the Lord expects us to trade with our faith that we may receive it again with interest and be good and faithful stewards. Remember the parables? The good and faithful servants? What did they do with their responsibility? They went and they traded it. So the one that had 10 got more. The one that had five got more, but the one that went and buried it and said, I know who you are. I didn't, I just couldn't get myself to go and do what I thought maybe you should, didn't want me to do anyway. So I just buried it. And God said, well, let me have what you have, what you have left and I'll give it to someone else. And he cast him out of his presence. Now, I don't know about you, but that parable to me is all about faith opportunity. It's all about what I do with it. So by the way, then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, I'll say this. You can't have a growing faith without the word of God. You can't have a growing faith without spending personal time in the word of God. You can't have a growing faith without spending time under the preaching of the word of God. Because that's the way God's ordained it. He's always ordained it that way. That's just his word. Well, I just don't believe that. Okay, so we'll put you in the lacking faith category. So whatever God's word says can't be trusted You see what I'm getting at? What we've done is we have marginalized our need for faith. We've decided that there are many portions of our life in which do not need God's attention. We decide what we want to bring to God's attention. Yeah, and that's the kind of faith he's going to find. But he wants to find a growing faith. Number four, he wants to find a living faith. A living faith. This is the faith that's observable. This is the faith that other people talk about. First, uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Listen, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Somewhere down the line. As people got saved in Rome and it wasn't at the Catholic Church. These were Christians who had gotten the gospel back from the day of Pentecost. And as they were saved, then they their lives began to grow. And as people saw it, other people talked about it and talked about it in other places. Their faith was spoken of through the whole world. How is that possible if it's not an observable, witnessable faith? It's impossible. It's a faith that can be seen. It's a faith that's walked. It's a just person living by faith. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 2 and verse 5, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith. When people look at a Christian's life, they're supposed to see a faith life. They're supposed to see a life that trusts God with every element of their life. The fact of the matter is, let's face it, 
When people like Barnabas in the New Testament give the entire sale price of a land to the Lord, that's bearing witness of his faith, is it not? He could have done anything with that. In fact, Adonira, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Sapphira and her husband decided that they would pretend that they had faith. Well, this is how much we sold it for. The Bible says they kept back a price for it and God was not pleased. They were lying about their faith, were they not? Big deal to God. When Daniel goes to worship the Lord, uh, worship the Lord in spite of what the authorities say, that's a visible faith. When the three Hebrew boys don't bow to the world's music or methods, knowing the consequences, that's a observable faith. People watching would say, wow, now that's a life of faith. I wish I had that kind of faith. Same people who walked with them all the way from the promised land to Babylon bowed and they looked up and saw them. No doubt in my mind, somebody had to say, wow, that's amazing. That's a life I wish I had, but they didn't. And they lived it by faith. That's a living faith. The Bible talks about letter E of fighting faith. First Timothy six and verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. You see, the sooner we as Christians stop fighting amongst ourselves, we'll realize that our fight is really against Satan to keep us from living out our faith. And our lack of faith is what keeps him winning most battles. Let me give you the verse. First Peter five and verse eight, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary. The devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Listen, whom resist how steadfast in the faith. The fact of the matter is there is a fighting faith. So how do you know that? Well, since you brought it up, Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. He decided it didn't matter what Satan was going to do. He decided it didn't matter what the world was going to do. He was going to live and fight and eventually die by faith. Isn't that amazing? A fighting faith. Lastly, there's a working faith. A working faith. Matthew chapter 24, the Bible says, Who then is a faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Matthew 25 and verse 21, he said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. First Thessalonians 1 and verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. What's he talking about? What is this work of faith? Not only is it a living faith in day-to-day circumstances, but it's a living faith in regards to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the fight of faith is all about anyway. You think it's a fight of faith just to keep your mind straight. You think it's a fight of faith just to keep your family straight or keep track of. You think it's a fight of faith just to just make it to work and make it back or make it to your desk where you do work and make it back or whatever. You think that's the fight of faith. If you can do that with a good attitude, that's the fight of faith. That is not the fight of faith. The fight of faith is not just living by faith. It's telling people about Christ by faith. You see, if God is an absolute, and he is, then heaven is an absolute, and it is, then hell is also an absolute. I can't say I believe in God, but there is no hell. I can't say that. Because if I believe in um, in one, because of the love and nature of one, there has to be another one. The fact of the matter is, 
Paul spoke to this in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. Only let your conversation, your entire life, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Listen, that you stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You see, when God tells us in his word to live by faith, that means that every Christian life should have a faith that is active and working for the glory of God. Because James tells us faith without works is really not a faith at all. It's dead being alone. And he spends an egregious amount of verses explaining that. You can tell people, no, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But according to James, my life actions is the receipt of my faith. It proves what I really am. God's always looking for a faith that can be tested. He's always looking for a faith that can be trusted. So thirdly, the last question is this, and it's for you. What kind of faith do you have? The Bible says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, and it could be today, shall he find faith? Well, I think for those of us that are saved, of course. But is that all that the sum total of my Christianity comes to is my decision to be saved? The sum total of my life when I stand before Jesus Christ is, Lord, aren't you glad I trusted you to be saved? Aren't you glad that you just redeemed me? Aren't you glad that I'm here? Aren't you, aren't you satisfied with saving faith? I hate to tell you this, but apparently, according to Scripture, no. He's not satisfied. I may be satisfied. Jim, I may be satisfied in my faith. I may say I'm good to go. I went to Bible college. I've been here for 20 years. I've been the pastor for almost 17 years. I'm good to go. Scott, I'm just going to put it on cruise control like some pastors do. I'm just going to, I'm going to exist. After all, I have saving faith. I mean, at one point in my life, I left it all to go follow Christ. And isn't that worth something? Oh, well, no, because I'm supposed to be growing in my faith. I'm supposed to be maturing in my faith. And we all are. What kind of faith will he find? When I read this passage over and over again, several things that become very clear to me about the importance and characteristics of the faith of a Christian. Let me give you them and then we're done. Letter A, life on earth is the only occasion we will ever have for faith. So if I could borrow a verse from last week, so teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we may apply ourselves to wisdom. A.W. Tozer said the Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. The two are opposite sides of the same coin. Letter B, faith is the great thing that Jesus is looking for. That's what he says. He could have said anything in that passage. Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There's no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. God gets no glory for what you can do. So though he could have said, when I come, am I going to find an amazing effort to see what you can do? He could have said, when I come, will I find innocency? When I come, he could have said anything, but instead he says, the one great thing I want to see is faith. I want to come to a people who trust me. Faith begins where man's power ends, George Mueller said. Let her see if there is faith, no matter how little, Jesus is going to discover it. Because our faith is largely a measure of our relationship with the Son of God. So as one writer put it, faith is not a distant view. 
but a warm embrace of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. Letter D, you can be sure that his eye is on the weakest and most obscure believer. So how do you know that? Well, just go back and study how many discourses Jesus personally had with Thomas, who was the doubter. He was the most impetuous. He, 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 he really was is kind of behind the scenes there. But when he does come up on the radar, you go, ooh, wow, boy, that guy has a faith problem. And, and even Peter, I will not ever. <laughs> really, Pete? Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. And when you're converted, you'll be okay. When you, when you change your mind about me and about who you are, you'll be okay. And when that happens, I want you to love me so much you're willing to preach. Okay? So the weakest or more obscure, most obscure faith, he notices. Why? Here's why. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 6. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, the Bible tells us in Isaiah how the lack of faith enters the heart of the Savior. It bothers him. Talks about judgment turning away backward and justice standing afar off, truth falling in the streets. And the Bible says, and the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no, listen, intercessor. Wait a minute. Jesus said in the middle of this, here's what I want. Instead of trying to figure all this out, I want you to pray. And I want you to pray with expectation, knowing that I am going to do something, even if it's eventually I hear your prayer and I care. And Isaiah says what's going to happen is that God is going to wonder, not at the great faith, but the fact that there was nobody willing to pray. There was nobody willing to trust in him and it hurts him. Isaiah Chapter 63 and verse 4, for the day of vengeance is, is in mine heart and the year of my redeemed has come. And I looked and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me and my fury, it upheld me. Man, it's very clear. And I, I hope you get this. This morning, I hope that you will take a few minutes and examine your faith. And, and here's the good part. Like we talked about love reigning over our past. Okay, so you haven't had a great faith. You haven't had a growing faith. You haven't, you may not have had the best of a living testimony of faith, but that can all change today. The mercies of God are new today. So instead of dragging around your guilty conscience and all the emotions that come along with the baggage that you drag around, why don't you just leave it here at the cross? Say, God, I'm, I'm done not living my faith. I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to live in doubt. I don't want to live my own life. I don't want to shipwreck because I've decided to take the helm by myself. I want you to drive. I want you to be my captain. Don't let him be your co-pilot. Let him be your pilot. And let's live by faith. Father in heaven, thank you that you're trustworthy. And God, I, I think it's very clear today how, how important faith is to you. God, you mentioned it in the New Testament three hundred times. And Lord, it, it's sad to think about how many times those were in the negative. How it marveled you at such little faith when you came to the tomb of Lazarus. You didn't weep because Lazarus was dead because you knew what you were going to do. You wept because of their unbelief. Lord, over and over again in our lives, we simply forget who you are. We forget that the circumstances that you've dealt us come with the measure of faith in the hopes that we would be good stewards and that we would gain from what our 
faithful and good master has given us. So God, please help us to live and work by faith. We are laborers together with God. And I pray that you would be gloriously pleased and that in, 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 um, and in the result would be that you would greatly reward. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask Julie just to play for a moment right where you are. We're not having, I don't think people are just ready just yet for a come forward invitation. I look forward to that day. But I wondered today, do you have a saving faith? If you died right now, are you 100% sure you'd be in heaven? Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I don't know. I really just don't know. I, I thought I knew, but I just don't know. I'm not for sure. Or maybe I'm doubting. I, I thought I was, but I, I don't know for sure. Maybe that's you. W- could I pray for you? I just want to pray for you. I don't want to point you out. I won't come to you, I promise. Pastor, I don't know for sure. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand, please? I just want to pray for you. I, I, I see your hand. Thank you for being honest. Somebody else. Pastor, I don't know if I died today, I'd be in heaven. I don't know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Please pray for me. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. Anybody? Christian, as the Holy Spirit has bore witness this morning, if Jesus came tonight, what kind of faith would he find? Would he find what he's looking for? Or will he find what the Bible declares as the standard in perilous and last times? You can change that today. By the mercy of God, Lord, forgive me for not living by faith. Forgive me for doubting. Some of you at the very beginning of the service laid down a burden here. Could I encourage you at this point not to pick it up? When we leave here in a moment, don't pick it up. Leave it here by faith. Trust God with it. Experience the victory that Jesus said that overcomes the world. What is that? The victory is our faith. We're more in conquerors because of faith. Everything that we are and everything we have, everything that we expect is because of our faith. So let's live by it this week. Allow our faith in God to change our life's paradigm. But more than that, our perspective and our practices. How many would say, Pastor, God spoke into my heart this morning about my faith. And I'm praying about what he found. Just slip up your hand real quick. I just want to pray for you. Pastor, God spoke to my heart about my faith personally. Put your hands down. Anybody else? God spoke to my heart about the faith that I'm living this morning through his word. Anybody else? All right, let's pray. God, thank you for speaking. And I welcome that. Lord, in, in times past, you've spoken various ways. But in these last days, you've spoken through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we looked at his words today, we're reminded of how important our faith really is, not just to you, but the people all around us. So please help us to live by faith. Increase our faith, Lord, as the disciples prayed and help our unbelief. And Lord, we pray that you'll be glorified in all that you see and all that you find in us. Be pleased. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.